0: young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of The Hub on CGTN in partnership with the World Economic Forum. Today I'll be moderating a session for the World Economic Forum here in Tianjin, China on China-Africa relations and how transformative or mutually transformative, should I say, about this relationship for people, businesses and policymakers on both sides. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome all of you here in person and attending the conference online to this World Economic Forum session of the Summer Davos here in Tianjin. We're talking about China-Africa relations, a mutually transformative relationship today. And uh, first of all, I really want to take this opportunity in welcome all of you um, to China, or shall I say back to China after a multiple year absence. Uh, has been a difficult few years, I know that, but um, welcome back. I hope you have had a good journey so far, and welcome to this session. China and Africa relations is certainly one that is both uh, marked with potential and uh, controversies from time to time. Uh, Oftentimes when people talk about China-Africa relations, we tend to look at it from a bird's eye view but down to the specifics, uh, the nitty-gritty of the relationship, there's so many components of it, it's multifaceted. Um, So today I think it's a very important conversation that I'm really honored to have, uh, I would say, a cutting-edge group of panelists joining us today to delve into the specifics of this evolving landscape of China-Africa interaction um, we hope to walk away today with uh, many uh, nuanced understanding of this relationship. Without further ado, let me introduce the panelists for today. Uh, we have the Honorable Felix Tapiwa Mhona. He's the Minister of Transport and Infrastructure Development of Zimbabwe. And also we have Madame Nokululeko Nuyembezi, the chairperson of Standard Bank Group of South Africa. That is the largest bank anywhere in Africa. We have Ricard Ingvarsson, Chief Executive Officer from Scan Global Logistics Asia. Um, last, but certainly not least, um, Wang Yiwei is the professor from Ermin University from People's Republic of China, who writes extensively about China-Africa relations, among other things. So let me start with you, Minister, if you don't mind. China-Africa relations, of course, is a huge topic, but China-Zimbabwe relations, in particular. Uh, is one uh, that is marked by friendship. So how do you really look at uh, China-Africa interactions
2: in general and China-Zimbabwe friendship in particular? The relations that we have, that are strong relations mm-hmm. based on our founding fathers and as we speak, uh, the current leadership uh, is Excellence Excellency Comrade uh, Emerson Damzom Nangagwa and Comrade Xi Jinping, which is of uh, sound foundation. And I'm happy to say, yes, in Africa you have seen that we are endowed with resources, and this is something that we must break about is Africa. And what we've been hearing for years is the value addition of our resources, We're not necessarily from China and, and Zim and Africa in general, but we are saying we also need to tap into our resources, one, and also be in a position to value it. That's why we'll see and in a number of fora, people talking about neocolonialism in the sense that the resources are actually um, going one direction from Africa to Asia or even uh, beyond. But what is of paramount importance, uh, Brother Wang, is that, yes, the relations that we have that have been cemented and we need to ride on that relationship and uh, maybe that uh, to, to take it closer home, when you talk of Zimbabwe, we, we, we really enjoy cordial relations with China. And as we speak, and um, within the next two weeks, we'll be commissioning one of the largest airports in Africa, the Robert Gabriel Mgabi International Airport, which is a result of this relationship that we are talking about. So it is very important to then say, and it is historic in the sense that it was completed within two years, which is something that is of paramount importance. And not only that, if you look at the energy sector, everyone is crying, we are talking about close to 800 million without uh, uh, energy globally, But we are saying uh, we are mitigating the issues to do with energy shortages in Zimbabwe, where recently again we've commissioned the Wanga 7 and 8 as a result of this relationship that we have in China. yeah, There are so many issues I want to ask your opinions on, but for the
1: moment, um, Madam Neoyang Benzi, uh, how do you look at this evolving partnership between China and Africa from the perspective of being the owner of the largest bank in South Africa?
3: Well, it's actually somewhat more, from my perspective, at least more nuanced than my colleague here from Zimbabwe. Sunnabank Group has had a relationship with ICBC dating back over 20 years now. In fact, I would um, hazard the guess that that is still the single largest outward investment in the African continent by a Chinese corporate. So it's a long-lasting... Relationship. It's gone through lots of changes of leadership. It certainly hasn't been a consistency. But it was born out of very clear mutual benefits. So each side was clear what it is that um, the interests that were being served by this relationship. And so it's predicated on solid ground. Together with ICBC, we have collaborated over the years in supporting trade between China and African countries, quite a few African countries, what we refer to as the China-Africa trade corridor. And we are today the leading financier and supporter of all types of financial services that are required to make that thrive and prosper. So that's been a really, really good collaboration that's lasted years. And I believe that with the free trade agreement, that's going to become even more important because all of the kinds of infrastructural developments and and other development in Africa will require uh, massive support from big balance sheets. I would say on balance, the view today uh, of the average African, and I'll quote a survey, that has just been released, the average view on the street is quite positive. It's the first time that I have seen a survey of that size, it was a multiple thousand in the sample, where the view for most Africans of China is positive. In fact, more positive than the U.S. So something is changing, and in my mind, it's because this relationship is evolving and touching, having multiple touch points, that people can see for themselves a positive net-net for the country, more so for some countries than others. Uh,
1: Richard, let me turn to you. Uh, You're in logistics business. You have a lot of uh, in-person experiences on the ground regarding how the Chinese initiatives are transforming uh, the local markets. Uh, Can you talk to us a little bit about China-Africa relations from your own perspective, from your business perspective? I'm a
4: bit overwhelmed being here with these experts, but I'm already very intrigued of, of listening and learning from you guys, so this is seen from my humble side and, and from, from what we do in our company. What I can say, we are very proud to, to, to be the biggest humanitarian transportation supplier for UNICEF. and. World Health Programme, World Health Organisation, World Food uh, Programme and the Peacekeeping Forces. And and as uh, the lady said uh, in the sitting earlier, Africa is not one country, it's 54 and it's massively uh, uh, different, uh, with different needs and and different outlooks uh, as it is, but it's a growing area and for us it's Super important that the trade between China and, and the African continent uh, develop and, and prosper uh, not only for imports of you know vaccines and, and equipment for manufacturing but also for exports and not the traditional uh, only the raw materials but allowing and helping uh, customers that, that we care uh, cargo for. To deliver it safely to landlocked uh, areas, or where maybe the airports are not fully uh, delivered in a safe manner, without being tempted to uh, uh, pay someone off, because that's we have to uh, say. There are areas in 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 Africa, there are areas in 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 Europe as well, uh, as well in South America that are. You know have a, have a bit of an issue of, of uh, with uh, corruption and so so you you just have to be mindful and uh, be professional in, in the approaches uh, but i' I'm, I'm, I'm very thrilled that I have no political issues of what people may be talking about I, I just see this as a natural course of development and it, it will not only help the African continent but it will help the entire world you know to increase and and erase poverty and and give uh, good education and and opportunities to, uh, you know, the the youngest uh, and and fastest growing uh,
1: continent of the world. Professor Wang, you wrote extensively about China Africa. I lost count how many articles you sent me over WeChat. About China-Africa issues. <laughs> over I love Africa. Over the year, you've been to Africa. What uh, to over a dozen countries now. So, so talk to us about uh, how do you see as the, of course the complementarities between China and Africa, as China is aging, of course, and Africa being the youngest continent, and also the Chinese economy is transforming uh, into uh, hopefully a consumer consumption-led and uh, consumption-driven economy. Uh, whereas Africa is also trying to move up the value chain. How do you see these, uh, these occurrences? Actually, I'm uh,
0: not just focus on Africa, I, I'm more focused on Europe. <laughs> I'm the young chair professor, the European Union. But why I focus on Europe in recent decades because of the Bell Initiative uh, and also I think I'm an international relations scholar. You need to focus on developing countries, developing continents, the most uh, dynamic and I hope uh, by uh, 2030, 40%, 42% of their uh, the youth will be Africans. So this is the hope, this is the future. This is not uh, the uh, new continent. Actually, the human beings, originally in uh, Lucy, mm-hmm. you know, many so, years ago, is from. I've heard yeah. so, so. That's the Okay, also, we are Chinese, are very humble. We learn a lot from Europe, you know, how to work better, you know, in Africa. The comparative advantage of China, actually, compared to Europe, I think, three things. First, uh, first visit. Uh, Trip of the foreign minister of China every year in the past 17 years is to Africa. China always say, uh, we are the developing country, so the people uh, veto power in the United Nations Security Council." This is not for China. This is for developing countries, and Africa is that uh, all of the African 55. Uh, they are. Afri- uh, developing countries. So that's, I think, political con- uh, foundation is very strong. So we view our relation with Africa as South South, so this brotherhood, this is a community of shared futures naturally. Second, I think uh, China uh, modernization is uh, very attractive to the uh, Africans because we are very fresh from modernization, urbanization, agriculture, uh, all of these. Maybe Europeans, American system, maybe 100 years ago, is not adapt to the local condition of uh, Africa. So China actually transformed the, the high standard of the West to match the African's condition. Because we know how to do this. So 40 years ago, China's per capita GDP is only one-third of the South Sahara African countries, even less. But now China is very advanced, so it's very attractive to Africa. So uh, we can share some experience, uh, but we are never saw our model. I think that's very important. Certainly, as you mentioned, it's very complementary. Before, we are very complementary with the West, uh, the advanced economy. But now the th- views of China, are the strategic competitor. But with uh, views of Africa, is a hope. Uh, we, 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 I think, uh, your aging society, aging society, and also uh, industrialization, digitalization, uh, Africans young dynamic. We have many complementary cooperation projects in Africa. Millions of Chinese live there.
1: Uh, Maybe can you share with us some of your experiences of visiting the African countries and how you see that the Chinese uh, cooperation are are perhaps transforming the the employment, uh, the markets and also the livelihoods there? Well, many love stories. Uh, One time when I visit Kenya, there's a railway, you
0: know, the Mombasa to Nairobi, I, I saw there's the slogan is uh, let the zebra can cross the tomb without uh, need to kowtow. So that's uh, uh, protect the environment. Let the zebra <laughs> cross the channel without kowtow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, not just human rights, animal rights are also very important. That's the type of So we, we learned how to do that. We, we have the better ex- uh, experience in other places. So uh, we are trying to learn very fast. That's the first story. Second story to South Africa. Uh, when I visit uh, Mandela's uh, hometown, uh, this is very attractive to me, because Ubuntu says, I am because we are. Okay, that's the committee of the future. Huh? You can, you know, in English, I always capture, but I is small in Chinese culture. I can be I only through you. Uh, we can be other, we ask, not I. So I think I learned a lot from African's uh, spirit and culture. So China's approach is said, yes, high standard, but you need to transfer the high standard to match the local condition. So China is the bridge to connect the West and Africa.
3: I think yeah. it's very important to understand uh, the particular attraction of African countries uh, towards China. It is the fact that in our lifetime we have seen a country lift that many people out of poverty. That we had not seen because clearly Europe took centuries to to get to the same point. This is an experiment that has never been done in history. Um, The only thing is, as more and more African governments sent many delegations to China to study the model, to see how it could be replicated, we simply couldn't replicate it because they were just certain dynamics of Chinese society, how the government is made up, how the people's culture is that did not match into Africa. So what you're saying about you could take it to an African um, level is true but up to a point. I think the Africans have to do the rest because there are very, very big cultural differences that make what happened in China quite difficult to replicate in other places.
0: That's no, so what I think very important because I'm the teacher. You know, I just came back from Nisan, uh, the hometown of Confucius. Confucius actually very famously three people work there. One be my teacher. So not just three people work there. I be their teacher. No, we we asked the uh, Africans and other African countries can share some
1: experience of China, but we never sell our model to them. Minister uh, Mahona, let me turn to you again. I mean, this is also a fantastic opportunity. I think through the World Economic Forum. To really educate us the chinese and people from the rest of the world more about africa because these days you don't hear as much about africa uh, from mainstream international media who might focus on international geopolitical hotspots or the war or scandals of their domestic <laughs> politics but really what is africa is uh, is a is a myth um so can you maybe talk about things that you think is important to your country, for example, urbanization. I know more people are moving into the cities at an unprecedented rate in Africa, the youth population and digitalization. What do you think are the important trends for the world to
2: know about your country and the continent? Uh, thank you so much, uh, Brother One. And just to start by inviting you to Africa and, in particular, to Zimbabwe. I'd love to take uh, to my crew. Out. My, my <laughs> photographer is there, my, my producer uh, there. Yes, and to say, you, you are very right, it's about the myth of Africa. But um, in the first place, we need to blame ourselves as Africa. He heard from my sister that we are talking about 54, 55 countries, and we are fragmented in terms of the approach. Just to cite a good example, if you want to fly to uh, Senegal, my sister's country, seated there, you need to go out of Africa to go back to Africa. So the connectivity now issues. So at times it comes to, to back to us as a continent, so that uh, the moment we are fragmented, uh, then we are taken advantage of. And uh, I'm happy to say such kind of a fora would then um, mitigate such or allay such fears that what sort of a continent is this? But I want to say, Yes, Africa is a beautiful continent and uh, we also want to thank the, the resources that I alluded to earlier on that we have got everything in Africa. So at the end of the day, it's also very important to say how then do we move a step forward in trying to mitigate and also address such fears and to say to the outside world, come to Africa. But you find I can just cite a good example. There is cricket happening as we speak in Zimbabwe for world qualifiers, but it's not being broadcast. So it shows, that, like you alluded the, the to, what? Uh, world qualifiers for cricket. Okay. cricket. Yes, there are about 10 countries there, and also America is, is included. I'm just citing a good example. But you find that it's not in the public domain. So uh, at times it's the packaging of what is happening in Africa. That is not within the purview of, of the, the generality. So at the end of the day, we are saying, these are some of the issues that we need also to, to make sure we address. And we are saying is the digital um, era that we are in, and you talked about the uh, demographics in terms of the youth. We is, uh, like in Zimbabwe, we are talking about 75, um, uh, 65 to 70% being the youth. So we've got the energy to drive and you find that see, the other myth, you'll be talking of ministers, they are maybe old of uh, advanced age, but I'm seated here. And which is also a myth, if you then talk of um, ministers coming from Africa, but we are very happy to have such a forum where we can articulate issues, where we can say to the global world, come to Africa and demystify what you hear. And a number of people, when they visit African countries, they are mesmerized. Whatever they see there against what they hear is totally different. So I think it also calls for a holistic approach as a continent so that we need to unite and also address some of the concerns uh, from a holistic perspective.
1: Can you name two or three things that you think people from the outside world might be
2: mesmerized by, as you said, uh, by Zimbabwe? The endowments, we are talking of close to 70 minerals that we can exploit just for Zimbabwe. And you are talking of the lithium, the, the one that is very tropical here, the electric vehicles that we are talking about, and yesterday we managed to visit one of the factories here where they are producing about 460 to 65 per day units. But they need the resources, and you find that we are in the top six within the world when it comes to the production of uh, lithium. But we are saying lithium is moving as raw as it is, without value adding it, which is something that if you evaluate per ton, you can get close to seven hundred thousand per ton. But if you just export it as raw, you are getting six hundred dollars per ton. Is an example. So you see that these are such kind of issues that we need to address to say yes, in terms of uh, infrastructure, the opportunities we have, the rail, we have the water bodies, and which are very magnificent. And if you talk of Zimbabwe, we break off close to 10,000 water bodies. So imagine such kind of uh, investment that you can then tap into the maritime issues. So we are saying even the skies, Open skies policy, and we ride on a policy of any given nation, and in particular in Zimbabwe, we say we are friends to all and an enemy to none. But you find in other jurisdictions we are impeded, where we have got uh, illegal sanctions imposed on us. So at times we then tend to side and move together with those who would uh, be on our side.
1: Thanks for these clarifications. Um, Madam Chairperson, let me turn to you. China had this huge massive infrastructure program called the BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, and Africa is aggressively pursuing this free trade area initiative. How do you see the synergy between the two going forward?
3: Yeah. So, whilst we were looking for technology and manufacturing that was far more commodities-based in the recent past, what this opens up is consumer-facing products. Now, you marry that with this population, this so-called demographic dividend in Africa, where in the next 10, 20 years, you're going to be seeing an Africa that is far more educated, that is far more urbanized, and that is far more digitally savvy just by from you know, this youth factor uh, than before. You then take number three, the fact that actually it's a very useful lens to think of African countries as not just put this country lens aside and think about cities. That your your fastest growing, top, top 10 fastest growing cities in the next 10, 20 years are going to be in Africa. You then overlay that with Belt and Road, which presumably would have already put in place the infrastructure for those consumer markets to be reachable by whoever comes into it. So so I think that it's not just two factors coming together but a multiplicity of factors that make it in my mind, a compelling proposition for, Africa, for Chinese manufacturers to seriously consider Africa as an expansion node for some of the things that they have done and done so successfully here. So if Europe and the US are anything to go by, as countries get richer and people demand higher wages, and we've seen it here, right? People start to demand higher wages and therefore what used to be a competitive factor for China, which was a dirt cheap labour rate, starts to disappear out of the horizon. Where are, you going to, where are you going to go? All right, you're going to Vietnam, you're going to Philippines, but Africa is a real, realistic prospect for some of the low value addition manufacturing initially. Now, where do you see this today? You see it in Ethiopia. You see a lot more of Chinese manufacturers moving to Ethiopia doing simple things initially but over time even that will increase so so i think that uh, you know it's just one was the underpinning was the extraction of minerals the next one was belt and road in the infrastructure development the next one becomes this uh, free trade area so that you get more integration on top of that you overlay the transfer of technology and the low skill manufacturing and over time, more and more uh, sophisticated manufacturing. So it's a story that has got quite long legs, and we'll be here in 20, 30 years' time, looking back, saying, actually, uh, we were we were naive. It happened in a much bigger bigger scale than I'm saying now. And so you look at all of that, and then just overlay climate change. Uh, climate change is an excellent, excellent example of a sector that A, has scale, it's got size. Two, China has significant IP and significant technology in the area. Africa has significant endowment in the area, not only in terms of raw material, but in terms of natural sunlight, wind, etc. And where the two combine in the kinds of sort of virtuous circle that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to. So I think this is the one thing that for me is really, really an optimistic and I think exciting prospect for for joint um, uh, China-Africa, mutually transformative
1: mm-hmm. initiatives. Yeah, mutually, uh, um, I love this, Or mutually transformative. Um, that is a very, it's an all-inclusive topic. Sure. So, which
4: areas of manufacturing do you say fastest growing on the African continent? Is that fashion, textiles, or
3: well, for now it's been smartphones. Uh, smartphones! Yeah, yeah. Of course, um, yeah. And today, sixty-four percent of smartphones used in the African continent come from China. Wow. And for for Africa, that is so because. We skipped completely from the landline mm-hmm. phase. We, we had maybe four or five percent uh, penetration of landlines. We went straight in, into mobile, mm-hmm. <clears throat> number one. Number two, you have an, a disproportionate extent, proportion of Africans who are unbanked. So payments and movement of money happens on a phone. Mm-hmm. Mobile banking is high, its highest penetration on planet mm-hmm. Earth. Is in Africa. So if you think about products and services that support that ecosystem, you will see those trials and and actually proliferate in the African continent.
1: Finally, I want to take this opportunity to really thank all our panelists for traveling all the way to Tianjin, China. Thank you for this very lively discussion and debate. Thank you very much.